Now you're very welcome back to Game On with myself Shane Dawson and Ruby Walsh as we turn our attention to cycling in the company of Dan Martin who has uh, recently released uh, a brilliant book with an even better name. It is Chased by Pandas which uh, recognises Dan Martin's career in cycling. Dan, before we dive into the uh, story um, for those who mightn't be aware of of where the name came from because the, the the imagery on the front of the book is brilliant because you were um, literally being chased by a panda. <laughs> uh, hi guys, um, great to be back on the show. But uh, yeah, it's obviously I. What many people believe is my biggest achievement was winning the Express on the Age, and then unbeknown to myself, uh, in the final kilometre, as I was going on to win the race some guy in a panda suit jumped over the barriers and started chasing me up the climb. And it kind of became this iconic image that meant when we started working on the book, it kind of, the whole story of the, of the book revolves around my search for this panda guy, because then obviously the panda keeps reappearing during my career in, in random moments, generally successful moments, bizarrely, especially a bit of a spoiler, but the uh, my final victory as a professional rider, which obviously at that point I didn't know it was my final victory. There was a panda on the side of the road, and it's these, and that's why we kind of it's just these, yeah, just completely bizarre, really. But then you also decided that you were going with a gold colour on the front of the book. You were going to make this about how great cycling can be, not about just how difficult it is, how grim it is, how hard a sport it is. You wanted to to show the fun side and the enjoyment you got out of cycling as well. Yeah, I looked at a lot of not just cycling autobiographies, but sports books in general. And it's all very much, very serious, very my life, my career, my struggle. And it talks a lot about how difficult sport is. Whereas I had a, I had a ball. I loved every minute of my career, even though obviously I had a lot of injuries, crashes, it, it, and the suffering that it goes into it. It was my, I, I was fortunate enough in life to be able to do my passion for a job. So why wouldn't it be fun? And this, and this, that's what the book revolves around. It approaches a lot of topics that we're not really, we don't really talk about in when you're when you're competing because, yeah, the fears, but also the emotions, and because you don't really have time to reflect at the moment as as you're actually competing as you're an, as you're an athlete. So, but yeah, obviously the bright colours on the book, it was just really something, and the, and not the panda title as well. It was I tried to make as much fun out of what is a very serious sport at most times. Sports serious, right? And for my my point of view, it's always sports being sports and entertainment business. So, and that's what the idea of the book was as well. Sport is entertainment. It is a business. You say it's fun. You followed your dad Neil Martin into it, but you say it, it wasn't a dream or a goal. You being a cyclist was just a fact. I think it shows a well, a strong inner belief that I had from a young age that I can't even begin to explain because here you had this 12-year-old boy at school who hadn't even begun to ride a bike, basically. Of course, I'd ridden around the, street, the town streets and, and whatnot, but I hadn't even competed at this stage. And when asked what career I was going to have at school... I was going to be a professional cyclist and was met by this the this laughter almost. And I think it obviously comes back to my uncle being, obviously Stephen Roach as well, and like Lawrence, my uncle also being professional. It was almost like the family trade. It was almost, it was almost normal to become a Tour de France rider, you know? So, it, and I think that really gave me this belief and this, 
that's also where I wanted to go with the book. It was to inspire the next generation. The fact that I think often top sportsmen are put on a pedestal. We're kind of, you, you're seen as superhuman and, and especially in cycling now as a robot and like, but generally just normal guys that got very lucky to find the one sport or the one talent they had and really managed to take advantage of it and get to the top of their sport. Both the physical and mental endurance of cycling is just ridiculous, um, you know, looking from the outside in. But how much added mental pressure was that then for you? You mentioned your uncles and indeed your father as well, who who um, was uh, in cycling as well. Like how much added pressure was to, to continue the family name and, and have all of that behind you? I never felt it as pressure. I just believe it was an incredible support network behind me that during all the tough times and obviously you know, the book follows that roller coaster track through my career where I discuss a lot about the pressures involved and how that affects your results because you just feel this weight on your shoulders and it, it never really came from a family background it was more the family presence was more always a supportive because I knew that I had people behind me that understood they didn't I didn't have my dad asking oh why didn't you win today because that's exactly the question as an athlete you don't want to hear because you're the one that wants to win more than anything, you know, and, and it's not through lack of trying. And it really, yeah, it, it's, it really, I think the book really challenges that psychological approach and how difficult it is to find that balance between confidence and having that support network and how to, obviously you're thrust into these team environments that don't really understand how to deal with certain individuals and it's it's a learning process always that process of adaption that's not really understood and i do think sport psychology in sport is massively massively underrated you put every chapter into a category almost and you relate them all to fear the fear of being a leader the fear of descending the fear everything comes back to what most normal people feel about uh, lots of things in everyday life, that little bit of fear that holds everybody back. You categorise every chapter in fears. Which was your biggest fear to overcome? I think it changes during my career. I think it's, obviously as you get older, you get more you get more conscious of the fear of falling and, and getting injured. And that was definitely something that led to my retirement decision. It started the wheels turning as far as that process because I had a bad fall in the Dauphiné in 2020. And I, uh, I, like, I basically went over the handlebars and landed on my bum and lost feeling in my legs for probably, like, it was nothing, probably two seconds. But it just made me think, you know, it was like, wow. It, had that, it felt like an eternity. And it, it's when you really feel like that, delicate balance that you're on in life and in sport and you've been so successful and it could be taken all like that it cannot it not be taken away from you but it's it's we're it's dangerous sport and it was becoming in my eyes more and more dangerous and so yeah that that fear was definitely one but obviously it does i think the book does challenge that concept of the fear of failure that is not often talked about. And we're not allowed. I think in society in general, it's drilled out of us not to discuss fear because we, it's seen as a weakness. And that's, it, I did notice that towards the end of my career, as far as we start talking about, well, that was really dangerous. And people start saying, especially on social media and even among TV commentators, commenting that, well, you should just stop them because you're paid enough. You should just suck it up and deal with the risks. And, it's a little bit, it was hard to take. It was like, well, and that's what kind of led to this fear concept within the book because 
So well, why why is it such a bad thing to discuss fears? Because I'm sure the 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 12 year old riding down a downhill at home sometimes he gets scared and it's okay to be scared it's it i wanted to really deal with that concept that everybody gets scared at some point whether it's scared of winning or crashing or or failure or or even doping as we discussed it's it's a it, it is okay to be afraid at some some point there, look there's loads of fears in there and you're dead right the 12 year old riding down the hill touching on the brakes he touches on the brakes because of fear it, it, it's in everybody but as professionals you're not really supposed to talk about it the fear of losing the fear of winning how did you overcome both of those i think i had a natural ability to kind of deal with the pressure most of the time but then it's those external sources and those people around you that really put the put the pressure on you and begin to make you understand the pressure. if you're if you feel that the people around you have confidence in you you're unbeatable Whereas if you feel that they start to doubt you or they start to put you saying things like you have to win today, it's, it makes you realize the enormity of what, of, because as a cyclist, obviously it's seen as a team sport because we compete in teams, but we're essentially individuals out there and you're an individual that as the 90 yard staff, the people working in the office at back in the, in the, and back at the team's base, the 30 riders, the, they're all relying on you as the team leader to win that race because that makes the happy the sponsors happy and that continues the team for the next year effectively in, so, in some cases. And that's something that never really dawns on you during when you're racing, because if it does, then that's certain to affect results. So that's really where it, it's dealing with those pressures. And obviously I think, yeah, my own inner self-confidence really helped me through my career with that and, and allowed me to uh, kind of put it to the back of my mind a lot of the time. And that's, uh, all of these fears, you do just end up pushing them down inside you as far as possible. And uh, whether that's healthy or not, I'm not, <laughs> I don't know. But uh, but yeah, obviously everybody deals with them differently. And this is that it's that key support network around you that uh, that and the psychological part that really makes a difference between the very top riders and uh, and the guys who finish second and third. And obviously, I was guilty of finishing second and third a lot. I know you mentioned in the book and, and it really kind of hit me through it when I was reading it that like it's honest it's raw it's different and you mentioned to be successful in this sport you have to be crazy not brave but mad courage is about overcoming fear while madness stems from the absence of fear the riders who love descending also love falling but but given all the pressures and you mentioned that support ne- network the distractions of the doping allegations going on in the sport while you're partaking, the restrictions on your diet and what you eat. And I know you mentioned without proper food, you'd feel rubbish on the bike. So you had to, you had to go all in. Like how difficult were those demands and, and how concerned are you now that you've stepped out of the sport professionally and that you've retired? How concerning do you feel the demands are now on new riders taking up the sport? That, that's part of the reason why I stepped away and I've seen it across many of the sports that I've got friends involved in and the whole sporting world has become super professional. You can, like, it's not that it wasn't professional before, but the, everybody, everybody's pushing the limits of competitiveness now and science, sports science, nutrition. And that's where the cycling has just gone to this extreme level whereby you, and I, you can't really live a normal life. Whereas five years ago, I lever, I led a relatively normal life. I could, I didn't really go on training camps. I ate normally. Like I could, obviously I ate a lot of pasta and rice and, but I was never starving myself. I was never, I, I would, we'd have 
a couple of glasses of wine at dinner the week before the Tour de France, like before I left and stuff like that. You know, it wasn't, I was never super serious. Whereas now the sport has just gone high. Every, every little box is ticked. Like I get a prescription for my training for every single day and exactly what to do. And whereas 10 years ago, I just get a note from my coach saying, go out and ride your bike for five hours. Enjoy yourself. Whereas now it would be five hours with, and there'd be 15 different types of efforts of different variations and different cadences and power. And it would all be, and I think, yeah, I, how I don't see the riders now because they're not as in control. Are they in Like, are they really, is it sustainable? Because that's why I stopped. Because for me last year, I did everything I could to be competitive and I was competitive. I was, but I felt like one, it wasn't as enjoyable and two, it wasn't sustainable. Like I was just beginning to hate riding my bike because I'd wake up in the morning until, oh, I have to go training there because I have to do these efforts. It wasn't, oh, the sun's out, I'm going to go ride my bike. And that's that's the fine line. It's very, very fine. But the thing is, we have a lot of riders now that are entering into the sport who have already, they've grown up in this environment and this mentality. And so perhaps it is more sustainable for them. And but I still don't believe you're going to see riders like myself and like Nicholas Roach, my cousin, who are doing 15, 16 year long careers. That's, I don't believe that's going to happen anymore. So there's no part of you thinks, I wish all of that was there when I was 12, 13, 14, 15. How good I could have been if all of this military like precision was involved. Is there any part of you think maybe it would have suited me when I was younger? Oh, definitely. You know, I mean, I, Obviously, I do wonder how good I could have been with the knowledge that I have now. But yeah, but at you the same time, the knowledge then either. <laughs> exactly, and nobody else did. <laughs> and that's the thing. I think that's why. Like, it's. We, I was very fortunate to be in the teams that I was in because I do believe that at Garmin we had we were ahead of the game as far as knowledge goes. And looking back, we were like, I was doing stuff then as far as nutrition and training, and I didn't know why we were doing it, but. In later years, I look back and think, "Well, wait a minute, we were doing that ten years ago. Like that's that's a like that's why we were winning, <laughs> you know." So it's kind of that we were definitely ahead of the game. So I was fortunate in that respect. And having passed to other teams, obviously like UAE, who were even though I was there four or five years after Garmin, they were still behind where Garmin were four years previous in their mentality and their approach to the sport. So yeah, I do consider myself fortunate. But yeah, I mean, the important thing for me is I enjoyed every minute of my sporting career and so it's hard to have any regrets well Dan I enjoyed every minute of reading the book unfortunately I would love to stay chatting for many many um, more hours but that is where we have to leave it my final question you know in the last chapter you ponder uh, and you wait in vain to someday track down that stranger dressed up as a panda and you might share a Belgian beer and you can tell him we had a good laugh thank you so I have to ask has this man been tracked down yet no, he hasn't. Oh. But we're, we're tentatively planning because it's the tenth anniversary. It's the tenth anniversary of my victory at Liège next year. Believe it or not, and uh, we're tentatively planning like a with, together with Belgian TV a, a bit of a search. But he's probably he's probably scared to get arrested or something. <laughs> well, Dan, I hope the book sales go well for you. And it is a great read for anyone looking for something for Christmas. Shane, thanks a million for your company this evening. I'm hoping Better De Silva is up next because it's not on the end of the running order. But um hope you enjoyed the show. Good night, folks. He is indeed. Bye. RTE 2FM.